Hi, Mikey. Uh, Hello. This is, this is an interesting experiment because you asked me to be on your podcast and then I asked you to be on my live. So this is my first podcast co-production. Uh, I'm super excited to be a part of this. Um, so, so one thing, uh, maybe I'll start before you st turn on your podcast. Um, I mean, we, we can talk about how we met and stuff later, but can you tell me a little bit about uh, MikeyPod and, and who you are and what you talk about usually on your podcast? Um, sure. I am uh, Michael Heron. I'm in Brooklyn right now. I've been doing, well, right now, I live here. Um, I've been doing this podcast since 2005. It's like 11 years old. And um, it started uh, when I lived in Texas, right, when podcasting was sort of brewing. And uh, it, I've always talked about activism. <clears throat> and um, and through the course of the years, I've moved to, uh, moved to a um, commune, basically, in Georgia called Koinonia Farm. And I podcasted about that experience and moved to New York City, uh, where I live now, and I'm a, a performer and a musician. And so I talk to artists, activists, um, all kinds of different people. I just talked to a, a pastor. And uh, yeah, so I talk to all different people, generally about activism or creativity. And there's always some cool music playing, too. Very cool. Um, yeah, I, I and... And you talk a lot about veganism, right? I when I when I um, I remember I was uh, very hardcore vegan when we were we talked the first time, and uh, you helped me sort of connect and and think a lot about that. But um, that's part of your activism, right? Yeah, it is. And you know, I think when we first spoke, you were hardcore uh, vegan, and I was still sort of like trying to get there. Uh -huh. And and you said something that uh, that stuck with me about um, meditating on. Uh, the life cycle of a piece of sausage compared to uh, <laughs> the life cycle of an apple, um, and which which was more peaceful. That actually really resonated with me, and and I sort of carried it with me as I like became more and more committed to being vegan. That's interesting because I forgot about that. I remember that now. And you know what? Um, after we do this uh, podcast today. I'm going to meditate exactly on that because I think I haven't done it recently enough. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's come to a place for me where it's hard to forget about that stuff, which mm -hmm. I, I sort of welcome because it makes it a lot easier to just stick with being vegan. Mm -hmm. Um, because that, that, that kind of thought process is really, um, sort of ingrained in, in my belief system at this point, I guess. So mm -hmm. it makes it like pretty easy to make daily choices. Very cool. All right, so why don't we uh, switch over to you, Mikey, and s start your show. Um, okay. Uh, okay, <laughs> this is so funny. <laughs> I have to be more careful with this microphone, too. <clears throat> uh, welcome to the show, Joey Ito. How are you doing? Very good. Uh, it's been a while. It's uh, I follow you on Facebook, so I kind of vicariously live, uh, see through your eyes, but uh, it's really good to connect again. Yeah, you too. It's so funny. We're we're doing so now that we're on the podcast. I should say that this is also Facebook Live, and uh, so we're having this like folding in on itself thing where I've already been introduced and now I'm introducing you, and it feels really funny. So Joey, I already introduced you early in the show. You have a new book out, which I happen to have here, so our Facebook people can see. It's called Whiplash. Um, I want to talk to you about a couple things. Um, you are the director of the MIT Media Lab. Is there like a nutshell version of what the Media Lab does? Yeah, it's a. <laughs> I, 
it, it's it's a um, that's the worst part of uh, the media lab is it's very difficult to put into a nutshell, be, and it sort of depends on who you ask and and who is asking. But um, having said that, I'll I'll describe what it is, and then maybe we can talk about what what's interesting about it. I mean, it's a lab inside of MIT. Uh, it's quite unique in that most labs don't have their own academic program. They're usually separated, like church and state, where labs do research and academic programs do uh, the academic program, like lectures and degrees. Um, we have both in one unit, and so uh, we were able to redesign the academic program to align with the research. So instead of having lots of lectures and lots of classes, uh, everyone in the Media Lab is working on projects, on building stuff. And we believe in learning through construction rather than learning through instruction. And instead of sitting around listening to lectures and reading textbooks, all of us are are, are makers. And we have uh, everything from synthetic biology to opera to um, uh, cities to learning to um, so, so it, 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 the key thing is that, that um, I think everything we do probably involves humans and machines at some level. Everything we do involves actually uh, making something. And we use the word anti-disciplinary, um, which is not that we don't like disciplines, but there's this interesting space between the disciplines where you can't really identify yourself as a mechanical engineer or a computer scientist or an artist or a designer, but that you're sort of all of them and none of them. And and, mm-hmm. and then the other, I think, key thing is that we, we like to be in the spaces where other people aren't yet. So, for instance, we were into wearables in the 80s. Um, now, all of the people who were on that team are running the wearable teams at, you know, Google, Microsoft, Samsung, and we're now working on implantable circuits. And so we try to be the ones trying to pioneer um, new areas. So we often, we have, you know, almost 90 corporate sponsors, and uh, we like to t- talk to them and tell them that, you know, we're trying to answer, answer questions you don't yet know to ask. So instead of just solving obvious problems, we're trying to also imagine uh, the things that uh, we need to work on. And so it's a, it's a, it's a fun place. It's 30 years old. Um, and, uh, you know, we probably have gone from working on a lot of uh, human interface stuff, like we invented e-ink for the Kindle or Guitar Hero, Lego Mindstorms, you know, and then we started working a lot on networks, um, a lot of the early social media stuff. And uh, more recently, uh, we're working in artificial intelligence and a lot of biology. Um, so the biology and the implantables and all this sort of stuff is, mm-hmm. you, know, you know, one of the things that I'm getting from your book already, and, and I already admitted that I haven't finished reading the book yet, <laughs> uh, but the thing that's opening my mind and, and is really interesting about, about what uh, the media lab does is that concept of uh, taking existing technology further, taking these ideas further than we seem to see. Like, um, yeah, so all of that, Tell me about implantables. Is are we implanting into people? Implanting into <laughs> objects? What's happening? So, so implantables. So we have a a, a new faculty member named um, Janan Dagverdir, and, and uh, she does things like um, <clears throat> one of the things she worked on is this. There's a thing called piezoelectronics, which is um, it's it's when it flexes, it creates energy. So she created a thing that laminated a heart, and the beating of your heart. Uh, power to pacemaker. So that's an implantable circuit. She's working on things like implanting circuits into your brain to try to connect computers um, and your brain. Um, we have a, a faculty member, Hugh Hare, who's a, d- a double amputee, 
and he's been working a lot on um, robotic limbs for um, amputees. And one of the things that, uh, uh, and, and actually one of the first things I approved was Hugh getting a tissue scientist. And so what he's doing now is working on the idea of uh, a robotic uh, prosthesis where the nerves are actually connected to the robot so you could feel the bottom of your foot. Um, it would sort of remove the phantom pain, which is one of the problems with amputees, uh, uh, you know, after amputation, and then also be able to control uh, limbs uh, directly with the nerves. So, so that's that's the, so the, those are the sort of implantable circuits part. And um, we also have uh, Bob Langer, who's an institute professor who works on the same program, which is we're calling it the Center for Extreme Bionics, which is really trying to eliminate all kinds of disabilities, whether they're neural or or um, or or you know physiological. But he's working on a lot of um, uh, uh, not electrical implants, but uh, uh, for instance. Uh, uh, organ trans, uh, organ replacements. He, he's, uh, one of the, has done one of the most, uh, successful, uh, spinal cord, uh, 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 they, he puts a, a, a material in that then, um, helps the spinal cord recover. Um, and, and several people have actually, uh, had massive spinal cord injuries and, um, have recovered, uh, with the process. So, so there's a bunch of stuff. And, and what, what, what's interesting is we'd been doing a bunch of work. In, in artificial intelligence and computers and interfaces. And that was sort of a historical thing. The media lab did a lot of work in. And then we, we had, you know, um, Ed Boyd and joined, who's a faculty member that works on the brain. And we had, you know, a lot of biology starting to percolate inside of the lab. But then, um, recently what's interesting is with, with, uh, Janan coming on board, um, we're now, able to connect that whole computer science side of the lab to the uh, uh, biology side of the lab. So it's, it's, it's pretty exciting. Um, wow. So <laughs> all of these things blow my mind. And I have these moments and I have to sort of talk myself down from where I'm like, I'm not smart enough for this. And then I'm like, wait a minute, that's okay. Just listen. Uh, but I'm curious how, I know that there's a, uh, an arts sort of component to what's happening too at the media lab, right? Like, uh, musicians and and what other type of artists are in action at the media lab yeah so so we have i mean so music is is historically one of the uh, great areas of the lab and um todd macover does operas that use robots and 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 one of my favorite stories though is when yo-yo ma came and he wanted uh and so i'll tell you about other arts but this, this i like the story because Talks about I love it. it. So, so Yo-Yo Ma came and, and he collaborated with, with Todd and, um, other, uh, faculty at the lab and students, uh, creating a hyper instrument, which was a cello that had a sensor in the bow. And then later Penn and Teller came and they wanted this, uh, special chair where depending on how you sat in it or who sat in it, the images that came up were going to be different. And then later, uh, they were de demoing it to an NEC engineer. And this is when um, there was that whole problem with child seats and airbags in cars. And the U.S. was trying to pass a law around this. And the problem was that you couldn't tell whether it was a child seat or an adult sitting in uh, 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 the passenger side. But the engineer said, hey, could you kind of modify that sensor? And then they eventually, it turned into this uh, uh uh, I think it's called seat sentry, but it was a, it was a, a device that was deployed in all the Japanese automobiles to protect child seats from airbags. And so it went from 
working on an instrument with Yo-Yo Ma to a magic show with Penn and Teller where we're sending students to Las Vegas to uh, uh, a safety uh, sensor for automobiles and one of the most licensed patents from MIT. And so, so that's, that shows kind of the, one of the things that's in the, in the book about, you know, this idea of serendipity and the idea mm-hmm. of, you know, it, it, sort of inventing things. Cause I, there was a great New York Times article about how, uh, you know, about half of our inventions are things that they, you, you find by accident. You, when you discover something you're not actually looking for and being open to that serendipity is really important. And, and the key thing, by the way, of arts is that, you know, engineering and to a large extent design is about solving a problem, right? Here's your problem. You got to get this done. How do I solve it? Arts and science is about imagining. And I think what's really important, you know, so for instance, I think when you think about the iPhone, Steve Jobs wasn't sitting there thinking, how do I make a more efficient phone? There was some artistic aha that made him and his team come up with this crazy new format, right? And, and that's, that inspiration is really important. So, so we have a lot of other arts. I mean, we have uh, Neri Oxman, who's making some beautiful work and she's both a designer and an artist and a scientist and a, an engineer. And she, she makes, um, you can sort of Google her name, Neri Oxman, but she makes these beautiful things that end up in MoMA. But are also um, inventing new mathematics to do 3D mm. printing of 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 of, of glass, uh, thinking about structural engineering, and so so there's a there's there's a lot of interesting um, uh, things that that you have to invent in order to produce the kind of art that many of our artists are are working on. So there's there's materials, there's um, there's uh, uh, and, and then some of the art gets close to design. So we have uh, a woman, um, uh, Sputniko, who does these uh, works on design fiction. So she tells these really interesting stories of, um, for instance, mm. you know, these uh, two uh, lesbian women who want to have a child. And she imagines a future when uh, with uh, uh, with uh, genetics, you can take the genetics of two women and they have a child. And she creates a, a book of what uh, pictures of what these uh, kids would look like and sort of makes a documentary of the, this couple um, seeing a book of f- their family photos, imagining what it would be like for the two of them to have kids. And it was a, it was a really wonderful exercise and they showed it on, on, um, uh, on public broadcasts in Japan. It was quite controversial, but it was also quite beautiful. So that's another example of the more artistic stuff that we do. Ah, that is amazing. I love, yeah, I love that that exists. And I think this is what I get so excited about talking, uh, why I get so excited to talk to you, because you, as a person, I see as someone who combines the creativity and the the uh, ingenuity. I don't know if that's the right word, but you know, you you come at it from all angles as a person, and it's it's really interesting to talk to you. Yeah, uh, I I, I love the the intro of the book where you talk about the um the, the filmmakers. I'm worried about pronouncing the name right, the Lumieres, am mm-hmm. I right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, that, uh, such a great example of what you're talking about in the book, that whole idea that they invented film, uh, moving pictures, and, and and then they thought, okay, well, that's it. And they thought they had uh, they used the, the technology to, the, to its extent. Mm-hmm. And of course, here we are, further down the line. Yeah, I mean, uh, and I don't know if I could ask you a question, but I mean, don't you think that podcasting <laughs> sort of did that too? Because it was like cool for a while, and then everybody said, "Yeah, it's you know, it's kind of over." But then suddenly, you know, with podcasting being so much easier to deliver to your iPhone, and it, for some reason, it seems like a thing again. I mean, do, do you notice that? Uh, I think so. And it was interesting when I started. Po- I loved like trying to be OG about my podcasting. 
uh, back. I started my podcast back before <laughs> the days of iTunes. Um, and a lot of us got really mad when when all of these like NPRs st- when when iTunes happened and started carrying podcasts and um, and and all of a sudden we were all overshadowed with because suddenly there were professionals making podcasts and and it felt like it was taking the um, the the spirit or the life out of what we were doing. Mm-hmm. But and I guess it was in a way, but it was also raising the bar, right? Like, and I, I've been listening to um, the what, Startup Podcast. Did you listen to that? Uh, it's it's by, I, I don't even know the host name, but he's talking about, he wanted to start a podcasting company and he had a history of working with NPR, uh, This American Life. And so he started podcasting the process of being a startup company. It's very interesting to listen to. And it made me realize that, you know, as listen, listening to it, 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 I, got ideas of how to start making my podcast, you know, rather than just being like, well, this is what a podcast is listening to these conversations and his, the way that he pulls from his current time and puts it into a podcast about itself uh, really inspired me to start thinking differently about things. So, so yeah, and it does feel like we're in a new, like a new age of uh, podcasting being a, a, a more uh, respected medium. Yeah. That's very cool. Yeah, so you also do a podcast, which I didn't realize until today. And this podcast is also going to be podcasted <laughs> in your feed. So we, we talked about having like sort of a handoff of a, mm-hmm. a, a interviewer, interviewee. So this could be a time yep. that we switch. Yeah, I mean, so like, I mean, to be honest, I, I am not nearly as polished and I, 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 you know, I barely can call what I do podcasting because all I do is uh, record our conversations that I'm fiddling around with, um, and I just put them onto iTunes. So um, <laughs> I'm kind of the the worst part of the Venn diagram of you and NPR in that um, I'm using this new technology. But um, having said that, I was probably doing some version of podcasting way before most people, but I never made it a thing nearly as 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 well as you have and my dogs are barking um but uh uh hold on one second <laughs> okay <laughs> uh, okay i guess it's okay um do you hear the dogs or is it okay? oh yeah i can hear them okay all right well, it's fine all right so um but no so so i'm just for me it's it's this weird thing where i'm trying to fiddle with the technology while i'm actually producing content so it's always in the slight state of disrepair. I'm I'm working on this. I'm using the software called Mima Live um, because Oliver, who's who's uh, who's helping me with this, and and so all the glitches we can blame on him um, has <laughs> ha, has been helping me. But but you know what I, what I realized was uh, as I was going through the day, um, I was meeting really interesting people, and uh, I used to do a lot I used to blog a lot more because I had more time but I just realized my life was just a series of meetings and then I said okay well why don't I just record these meetings and share them um and I started doing that a little while ago um and then I found that well that was kind of interesting because when you record it people try to be a little bit more succinct and and on point um and then I and then Facebook live started happening and so I tried messing around with Facebook live and what I realized was even if it's people that you know if you sort of, okay, we're all live, um, 
the the conversation is a little bit more intense and a little bit more uh uh i mean it's like you have an audience so it's a, it's slightly different and even if you just go like i went to see seth godin uh, a little while ago and you know he's a good friend but i don't see him face to face that often but i said okay well let's do a facebook live and so when we did the facebook live uh, the conversation was very different because it was still catching up but it turned into something that was you know the both of us i think put a little bit more energy into what we were saying than we would have if we were just kind of um you know eating cookies and and, and drinking coffee <laughs> um and you know obviously we had another conversation after the the facebook live and then what's neat about um and and so that's why my my podcasts don't feel as podcasty maybe because they're recordings of live conversations that I've had. Um, but I also realized um, because I was putting up just putting up the videos at the beginning. But a, a friend of mine, Jason DiFilippo, who does a lot of podcasts, he said, "No, no, no, your distribution and podcasts will be very different. I mean, people who watch videos at their desktop aren't the same people who listen to podcasts um, in the train or in the car on their way to work. So you should definitely do an audio version." And Jason's been super helpful because he kind of said, okay, you don't want to go above um, 96K. You want to keep the files smaller. They're going to hate you because they're downloading them over their mobile plans. And and he got me all sort of sorted out with LibSync and all of the the, the podcast distribution part. And, and that's also yeah. the fun thing is that I just like geeking out on the technology. And, you know, since I podcasted again, you know, kind of back in the day, it's, it's so much more sophisticated. But just like it, any technology, if you then push it all the way to the bleeding edge, it's still just as funky as <laughs> it was when we first started. But uh, but the video the video component is interesting. But I still find that at the end of the day, the audio is more important, I think, than the video. Mm. Yeah, I love this video thing. I've never done a simultaneous live feed podcast recording. Uh, it's fun. I, I feel it. It's changing what I'm doing right now too. Often, I just don't do video at all, even on Skype when we're talking. Um, I think somehow I like to sort of like be hidden, uh-huh. but um, this is great. It's super yeah. fun. Yeah, I I don't know. Have you? I because there's some people that I've only talked to on the phone, and I even on Skype I don't turn on the video because it just seems like it, it would change the relationship so much. I don't know if it's just me, but but um, there definitely is a different thing when you go video. But anyway, that's a society yeah you, you know i like on that same aside i uh i have a little portable recorder that i've got to record uh i mentioned before that i'm doing this uh multimedia thing and uh at a animal sanctuary tamerlane farm animal sanctuary and i got this recorder specifically to record sounds of the animals to then turn into samples and manipulate and um i decided to try doing an in-person podcast interview which i do very rarely and while I was doing the interview, I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. I should always do them in person. And then when I listened, it was good, but I was like, it wasn't that amazing. <laughs> you know, I think I do a little bit, somehow I feel like I do a little bit better. And it just means I need to practice the in-person thing. Yeah. Um, which of course takes us back to what you were saying about uh, using this technology. And 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 did I did I interpret this correctly? The idea of you're, you're doing your podcast and just trying out what works as you do the podcast. Uh, yeah, and 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 what's what's weird for me is you know because I, I I travel all with only carry on luggage, and I'll be doing these in my hotel room or in people's offices, and so I'm having to kind of like put together different kits and different like and something like we're doing ours right now over Skype, but sometimes I do them face to face, sometimes I do them using so so it's 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 fun for me to like 
geek out on the gadgets and I, I'm trying lavalier mics versus uh, so so that's sort of the, the 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 nerdy part but the 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 fun part is as I start to do this stuff I'm starting to hang out with my like I have a student at the media lab who's like knows everything about um, video compression and video codecs and video streaming and we've been just geeking out there and I've got you know Jason who's talking to me about audio and 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 now I'm going to pick your brain about um, podcasting and stuff. And so connecting with the people who are really good at each of the sort of segments of stuff that I'm working on. And I know somebody who's really, really into all the different uh, video cameras and what's the best bang for the buck and the size and stuff like that. So I probably should share more of this information once I sort of figure it out. But I'm still um, in the process of kind of um, sorting out what my, um, you know, various different kits look like. Uh, and, but that's fun, right? It's it's totally like, fun. It's yeah. That and, stuff. Although although it's a bit it's a bit distracting, you know. I mean, it like because um, I often I'll book a thirty minute meeting with somebody, and fifteen minutes of it is me kind of setting up all my all my. Oh yeah. yeah, you know, I found when I, I I've been a pianist forever, and maybe four or five years ago, I decided I really wanted to really dig into electronic music, and um, I bought Ableton Live software and started teaching myself how to use it. And I was feeling so excited and like, oh, I'm a le- an electronic musician now. And and uh, I'm spending a lot of time. And I, then I realized like, no, I'm not like, I'm, I know the software really well now, but I'm just spending my time learning new things. I haven't really made anything yet. So yeah. that that's an interesting level of that distraction and yeah. trying to find that balance. You know, I can go down a rabbit hole of like, oh, like learning all these things on YouTube. And then yeah. realize like, oh, I, I, I haven't used any of these and I've forgotten all of these things I've learned because I didn't yeah. put them into practice. Well, well, that's that's sort of the getting back to the art and the engineering, right? I mean, I think it's important. I think I think both of us have an urge to express stuff. And, and in a way, that's the content and it could also be the art. The engineering is really important to be able to get it out there and to to render it into stuff. It's kind of learning the instrument at some level, or even building the instrument is 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 part of the engineering. And and I think it's important because if you don't have something to say, <laughs> there's no reason to learn how to do this <laughs> podcast. But on the other hand, if you can't figure out the technology, it's also really hard to get your message out. And I think what's what's really interesting that we we talk about this a lot at the Media Lab is. Um, progress really in, in science and in art happens when the artists can actually build and understand the tools, right? Like you and I are hacking the tools right now, but it's because we we're trying to figure out how to say what we say and do what we do in a more creative way. And the problem is if you're just looking at the tools without understanding how to use it, you're not going to be creative. And if you're creative without understanding the tools, you get into a pattern like the print industry or the television industry and industries like the video game industry where most of the developers are also the creatives. They're able to go from coin operated things to CDs to online to, you know, mobile and, and, and the content continues to get better and VR and all this other stuff because the creative people are actually working on the, on, on the technology. So, so I, I, you know, I, I, I think that, that, that sometimes you kind of geek out on the technology and like you said, you say, Oh, wait a second. Wait, I forgot why I was doing this. Now I got to make, <laughs> I got to make something. But, but I think, I think that, that sort of curiosity of engine in the engineering side, um, is, is, and, and, you know, getting back to the, uh, the book and luminaires and stuff like that, it, it really is, um, you know, it requires, um, 
uh, the artists are the ones that break the tools um, and push the tools to the limits so that the progress occurs. Because otherwise, you end up sort of you know doing things um, that might not actually be that useful. Yeah, I love that that I image or it, it happened of the um, filming. Uh, there's a cat involved. <laughs> like that that one part about the cat when uh, when they had the, the wide shot of a girl feeding a cat. Am I remembering that? And then and then it was the first time they decided let's close up on the cat and and they were worried that people would not know what happened to the girl. You know, <laughs> this was the first time in a film that there had been a close up. Um, it's funny to me and it's also eye-opening and like what what are the ways in my my work my my creative work and the way i use technology what are the ways that i'm but this is a corny cliche but just seeing the big picture and not believing that i can close up in on the cat you know like what where am i limiting my thinking mm -hmm. the same way that they did because to, today that seems ridiculous like what do you mean you didn't know you could close up on the cat and not right. freak everyone out about what happened to the little girl who used to be in the picture. Uh, so, but we're doing that now. Like there, there are things that we we're limiting ourselves in the same way. Yeah, and, and um, Neri Oxman and Mijin Kim at MIT teach a class called Design Across Scales, and it's about sort of doing design thinking and design at um, uh, uh, the molecular level, the sort of uh, you know microbial level, the object level, the human level, the architectural level the city level the 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 earth the astrophysics and what's really interesting and important is that a lot of times when you get stuck on a certain microscope setting which is kind of the scale in which you think and in fact whether you're talking about climate change or you're talking about um uh urban systems or you're talking about society um all of the systems at every scale connect to each other and they all affect each other. And I think one of the really in interesting and important things is you've, you really need to think at all scales. Sorry, I'm sort of riffing off of this close up thing. It's sort of related, but not really. <laughs> I'm, I'm following. But, but, but like, like, like take your, 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 your veganism, right? So, so there's the animal rights whole sort of ethical space. There's the impact of, of being a vegan or eating meat on the sort of supply chain environmental scale. There's kind of an aesthetic, about it and there's sort of a cultural element and there's so so I think one of the things that we try to talk a lot about and and actually implement and teach at the media lab is that anything that you do you should try to think about how it affects uh, all of the systems at every scale <clears throat> and to sort of keep in mind that there's a girl there when you're looking at the cat and keep zooming in and out and not get stuck at one scale or one microscope setting because that's sort of the one of the reasons why we have so many of these disasters is that um, people build things, a div uh, an object, you know, a, a, a little plastic mascot for the Olympics, thinking just about this little moment that they're in, not thinking about the f fact that it's going to end up in landfill and that it's a, it's 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 kind of a, a, st a stupid thing to have, you know, <laughs> in, in, in a system. And so 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 uh, you know, and, it, and 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 so I you know I I think that that kind of Thinking about everything as a in, in, is not as a system, but also a system across scales, um, is 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 really important. And uh, um, and 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 the tools that let you sort of go in and out into those different scales um, is is really important too, because you have to, I think, continuously be diligent and um, being aware of them. Yeah, that, so that's one of the things when I told you before that I was sort of savoring the book um, that that I have to like step back and be like, okay. So how does that 
how does that concept apply to what I'm doing? Um, and I don't have an answer to that. That's more of an observation of what I do with, with sort of thinking, because uh, this is all having me thinking in a, in, in a broader way than I'm used to, or a more broad way. Um, so uh, it's, it's fascinating and also leaves me a little like, uh, at a loss for words sometimes. Well, when I mean, I think I mean about what, what, one thing I went, and there was a question on here about um, your music and uh, how you compose. So I want to ask you the question, but just before I jump into that, I wanted to, you know, make a point that I made on other previous conversations is that um, I think we need a culture change, uh, whether we're talking about climate or whether we're talking about, um, you know, how we think about the world. And, you know, clearly there's a lot of energy right now in people feeling dissatisfied or unhappy. And if you look at culture changes, like fundamental behavior change, it's usually accompanied by a culture change, which is usually driven by music, right? So if you think about the uh, uh, no future generation that created punk rock, or you think about sort of how the Beatles came out and they had these little suits with the funny hairdo, but then they discover uh, Ravi Shankar, turn a little bit hippie, and then they transform a whole generation into sort of, a, you know, together with other people, but into this whole love and peace generation. And I, and I think that, um, you know, you can sit around and, and lecture people and try to convince people that they're wrong or convince people that you know, we need to work on climate. But I think the way that we're gonna change it is to change the music. And the way that we mm-hmm. change the music, and, and, and it's got to start to feel kind of disgusting to do things that are wasteful. And it's got to feel kind of happy and beautiful to do things that are loving, you know? And I feel like that's missing, you know? I feel like, you know, and again, it's, it's unclear whether it's, it's somebody that looks more like the Beatles or somebody that looks more like T- Sid Vicious. You know, hopefully Trump isn't our new Sid Vicious, but, 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 I, <laughs> but, but I look to people who can make music, who think, about music as part of the important um, leadership for this new uh, 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 revolution, and and you're you're an activist, and you've got a bunch of these things. You've got music, you've got your vegan thing. I'm curious, uh, you know, how you think about your music, and, and to sort of a- answer Karthik's question. I mean, when you, how does your creative process work, and how do you how do you compose? Uh, that's a really interesting question because, uh, like I mentioned before, I I. I studied composition and piano in college, and um, at some point I got overwhelmed with the whole idea <laughs> and then stopped. And, you know, and, and life sort of led me to uh, music directing. So I was doing a lot of theater work when I still lived in Texas, in Houston, um, and I wasn't composing at all. Um, so all that background is kind of to say that I'm still figuring out what my, uh, my creative process is like. Um, most recently, I did a show called The Animal Show that I used. Uh, I combined storytelling and electronic music and a couple of string players. Um, so part of uh, it's hard to answer that question because a lot of times I sort of wake up like, okay, I have a show and I have to write this stuff. I, I don't know how to do this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I'm figuring it out. So sometimes I write with text first, um, but my... my uh, my creative process for the music aspect of things is often sitting at the piano, mm-hmm. uh, which in my case is a keyboard, and and sort of figuring out melodies and that sort of thing. But then I used a lot of sounds from animals at the sanctuary mm. uh, in the last show, so some things emerged out of that. And so I don't I don't have like a really concrete way of talking about how I work. I think what what's going to be interesting now is now that I finished, I just did a three night run of this show here in New York. And um, and 
my director and I both agreed like, oh, that was in progress. There's still a lot more to do with this show. So it's going to be interesting having like this sort of core of ideas that now mm -hmm. felt like it felt like a show, but I feel like there were things missing. And um, so I think this is going to be what I discovered to be part of my process too, mm -hmm. to take these ideas. And as I was performing and at, you know, like, like the second, third night of the show, as I was more comfortable with what this is like performing the show, because again, this is like this is only the second show, a solo show like this I've done. Uh, so yeah, so the, my, my process is emerging. Uh, but it's really interesting. I, I'm often following like a sound or a loop or something that I created in Ableton Live and mm -hmm. things emerge from there. But I also write piano-based string stuff. So those uh, I'll come up with a melody and then expand on it. I, I love Ableton Live. I, mean, I haven't used it for a while, but I started out as a DJ and Ableton Live is sort of the DJ's dream because you sort of go from you know, mixing songs to sort of feeling almost like you're making songs, you know, and it's, uh, yeah. and, and, and I find like it, it also gets my creative commons juices going because it's really about how can you turn remixing into an art form. And it, you know, in, in a way it, it sort of blurs this line between the pure creative process of making music to the sort of just you know, playing songs in series to sort of everything in between as much as you want to do. So I found that to be an ex extremely uh, uh, cool tool. Yeah, it gave me a great appreciation for DJs that I didn't have before because uh, I so much of learning the software happened on YouTube mm -hmm. and the people that do Ableton tutorials are often DJs. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's really, it's great for me too because I can create in these little segments and then turn that into something else that I perform live. Mm -hmm. And then I was able to, with my previous show, take those loops and little scenes and things that I created mm -hmm. and turn them into an album. And like just in the same software, turn to that linear layout. And that's where I like recorded the album. There's, there's a great comment from Eve, which was says that 2016 was a loss of culture with our, a loss of David Bowie and Prince and um, um, what, what the next cultural movement's like. And she mentions Hamilton as well. I mean, I, I, I think, you know, because the two of us met um, around Creative Commons. And, you know, I think a lot of uh, Larry Lessig's early stuff was um, really about talking about remix. And I feel like Hamilton's a great example of taking um, sort of modern delivery and, you know, African-American culture and, and mashing it up with the, the, the amazing history of, of, of the founding fathers and, and turning it into something really compelling and beautiful. One of the, I think probably the most impressive musical I've ever seen in my life. And, and to me, what's, what's interesting and, is that you could also do it badly, right? Just remixing doesn't necessarily make it good. And I think what's interesting is that we see things like Hamilton, which is a, such a well done remix, both at, at every layer, right? From the, from the message to the delivery to the, to the everything. And, and I feel like one of the things that, um, that I'm excited about right now is, um, um, uh, Conservation International and Emerson Collective and those folks are working a lot with um, indigenous people. Um, it turns out, you know, 25% of the Earth's uh, land is uh, uh, is sort of in the custody of 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 indigenous people, 
but 80% of the carbon sinks and 80% of biodiversity is on this land. And, 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 and when you talk to the indigenous people, it's their culture, it's their vibe that allows them to flourish without ruining the environment that they're in and actually flourishing together with nature. And to me, I feel like, how do you translate that, the, the sort of aborigine or the Inuit way of thinking into something that's consumable by us, right? And, and, and consumable is not even the right, right word is, 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 uh, is something that we can identify with. And, and to me, both the technology, the stuff like what we're doing right now, as well as, um, things like Hamilton are, are real inspirations. And I feel like that cultural remixing is, uh, but, but with, with taste, with, with a kind of new sensibility is, um, is really important. And, and, you know, it's, and obviously the technology is just a small piece of it, but, um, I, I feel like that's, that's that's really important, and, and like like you and I would probably never have met, and we probably wouldn't be talking right now if it weren't for um, so these these tools that we have. I don't know what you think about that, Mikey. Uh, yeah, I think that's been one of the really fun things about doing this podcast um, is that I wind up connecting with people like you who we wouldn't have really had opportunity to cross paths, and um, and now look. Look at the learning we're doing from <laughs> Look at the learning. We're learning from each other. But, you know, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I love the way that you um, take that idea of remixing beyond, like, it's, and this is, again, like, part of what, what I'm pulling from your book or getting out of your book is that idea of, like, taking a concept to its potential. Like, we really are uh, remixing cultures, and, and we have the, the potential to combine and look at things in different ways. So yeah, yeah that's very cool. Um, I think we're sort of running up into our um, our, our our maximum recommended uh, <laughs> length for podcasts and Facebook lives. But um, I don't know if you have uh, any last things we should talk about. No, I think that is that feels like a good place. Should we uh, just for the sake of uh, all our mass of listeners from all different platforms, uh, where? Maybe we can each talk about where we can be found online. Yeah. Um, why don't you go? Oh, well, actually, yeah. Well, I mean, you go first. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, so my my uh, website is michaelherron.com, M-I-C-H-A-E-L-H-A-R-R-E-N.com. This podcast is actually at mikeypod.com. Um, and then I'm on social media pretty much everywhere as at Michael Heron. Boom. Go. Thank you. Um, <laughs> yeah, and I'm, I'm sort of on SoundCloud um iTunes but my blog is um joey j o i dot ito ito dot com and everything you can find you can it links from there awesome all right uh thanks so much for doing this, this. awesome thank you